welcome to Ridiculously Imperfect. I'm Emily. And I'm Kelsey. And we are here to share life stories while embracing our imperfections. Each episode, we dig deep into the highs and lows of life, tackling topics with authenticity and humor. Our stories are meant to be told, not buried. Join us in being ridiculously imperfect. Welcome back. It's Kelsey and Emily with Ridiculously Imperfect. Hello. And this week, uh, we get to learn a little bit more about Emily. Last week, I was very uncomfortable and had to talk about myself. <laughs> and now this week, I, in my still uncomfort zone, get to question <laughs> Emily about herself and her childhood. So Ooh, yes. Um, we can't wait. So we'll get right to that. Um, let's dive in. Let's see. Tell me a little bit about where you grew up and how many siblings, like what your family looked like. Okay. So I grew up in Western Kansas and it is a very small town, more cows than people. I've told that little trivia factoid to people before and they haven't believed me. And then they look it up and they're like, oh, that's a, that's real. Yes. (laughs) It's very real. I'm It's what I love to say about my hometown. (laughs) But uh, we moved to Scott City from Texas, uh, like Houston suburb area, when I was two. So I obviously don't remember anything about Texas. But I also like to claim that I'm from Texas. So don't take everything's bigger there. Yes. (laughs) Don't take that away from me. So, I like to say that I'm a Texas girl, but obviously I I was born there and that's pretty much the extent of it. But grew my entire childhood was in Scott City. Uh, I have, I almost said three sisters. Wow. Sorry, Jimmy. I have two sisters and a brother. So, it was girl, boy, girl, girl. And then the age difference between me and my oldest sibling is 12 years. So, it was kind of like the first two grew up together and all the things, and then there's a pretty big gap, and then Margo and I kind of grew up together and went to high school together and such. Okay, and you're the baby. I am the baby. Okay. Yes. Do you fit that? (sighs) Of what they say, like, youngest child, do you fit that more? Yeah, so a lot of yes and a lot of no. (laughs) I think all of my siblings would say that I was spoiled and all of that stuff, but I think... The just the hand that I was dealt in life with uh, the my mom getting sick when I was seven and then passing away when I was in high school, I think that probably caused a big flip in my behaviors because I do find myself to behave as a peacekeeper, not necessarily just with my siblings, but I like to mediate things, come to resolutions with people. Uh, I I don't feel okay. I probably am a little spoiled. Uh, probably more than a little, but I think just when I think about all of the ways that a youngest child can look and what that can mean, it's a big yes and no. So I know that doesn't really answer your question, but I'm married to a youngest child and my both of my parents were youngest children. And when we got married, my dad was just like, oh, wowza, good luck with this. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you get from Western Kansas to where you are now. So I went to school in uh, Ottawa. I was going to say Eastern Kansas. I guess that is Eastern Kansas. So I knew when I was very young, 
that I did not want to, I was not going to like start my life in Western Kansas. I just knew that wasn't a good fit for me and that I just was going to be somewhere else and I didn't really have anything specific in mind. So whenever the opportunity came that I could get a full ride to college, I was all about that. I'm like, sure, I would love to not pay for school. It was an academic scholarship, by the way. I mean, I also am very, very athletically inclined (laughs) for all of our listeners who don't know. And another little tidbit of trivia about me is I am an incredibly book smart, but I can also seem like the biggest dits ever. So whenever you know, word got out and a couple of classmates knew that I got a full ride academically. They were just like, wait, have they met you? (laughs) This is very confusing. So I actually was going to go to a different school to play tennis. And then this competition happened where I could compete for a full ride. And I won. I was one of four other women who won, which was really cool. It wasn't pigeonholed for women not pigeonholed that's not the right term but it wasn't just for women but uh-huh. just it was really cool that there was oh, five neat. of us females who got it that year so all that being said I ended up just going to that school because it just I also loved it and it was a good fit and met my husband there pretty much my first day he knew me before that oddly enough <laughs> little bit of a stalker story. But so I uh, go to school in Ottawa, which is, what is it, like 45 minutes from Kansas City, an hour maybe? It's not far. And it's beyond the suburbs of Casey, but not too far out. And every time we would visit Kansas City, I just fell in love with it in college. And I just felt so like big city liberated is, I don't even know if that's a word or phrase, but that's how I felt. And I just felt like a sense of belongingness to being here in the Kansas city area. And so when we realized there were places worth more people than cows. Yes. And like, what is this magic that I can drive 15 minutes and be at a target or a Starbucks or all of these restaurants that I'm like, Oh, we only got to go on those, go to those on vacation because <laughs> there wasn't any within a four hour vicinity of Scott City. So, um, yeah, that was pretty cool. Very cool. So now in Kansas City, what does your life look like now? So now it looks like busy mom life. I would say I currently stay home, but I'm now a podcaster. I guess I can officially say Yay. that. I I left my corporate job about seven-ish years ago. I was in insurance claims and loved it. I loved what I did, but I just felt such a big tug on my heart to stay home with my kids. And I ignored it for quite a while because for the longest time, I could never picture myself doing that and thought it sounded daunting and miserable. So I never really entertained the idea. And then I just kept getting this repeated tug of, you're supposed to be home, you're supposed to be home. And I made myself a promise years ago that if I ever were to become a mom, that my kids would have me and in a way that I didn't have my mom. Mm. So uh, I think just all of those elements combined, I finally listened to that stirring and decided to stay home. So I stay home with the kids, which they're all in school right now and loving it. It's very nice that we don't have like a hybrid situation anymore because of COVID, because that was awfully rough with three different grades and, Oh, all of that. But I also love to 
do it myself. I love projects around the house. Like right now, you know, our listeners can't see, but I am covered in paint. I look disgusting. <laughs> it just I was thinking about that. I'm like, oh, poor Kelsey. I didn't have a chance to shower before this, but uh, we're far. We're six feet yeah, away from each other good. and I'm covered in paint. So I probably just smell like paint. But uh, so that's a big passion of mine is doing that sort of thing and um, just coming up with creative ways to do new things around the house and also just have fun with the family. I love planning trips for us and for other people. I would love to be a a travel planner, uh, but I also feel like I would be really terrible at it because I would I would only want to plan what I want to plan and then I would kind of want to <laughs> be done with it. And I know that that's not how you should be in a client-facing position. Right. So, yeah, so just mostly stay-at-home mom life. But, cool. And you're yeah. really good at that. <laughs> well, thanks. Not staying at home, but... <laughs> The I am very present uh, with your kids and how many kids do you have? I have three. Yeah. So my eldest is in middle school and uh, Jacob and I, Jacob's my husband. Uh, we got pregnant with her. Gosh, we had only been married for like three or four months and got pregnant with her. And she was a preemie born at 33 weeks. And had a two-week NICU stay, which doesn't seem like a long NICU stay in comparison to some other friends that I've met along the way, but it was horrifying for us, and we had never known anyone who had had an experience like that at that point in time, and we also didn't know enough about being a parent and all the things that it was really hard to contextualize what was actually happening in that moment. But anyway, so she was a preemie, but she's now a thriving 12-year-old preteen, and then I have two boys that are adopted that are eight and seven, and they are just so, so fun. They were both adopted through the same agency, and they were both technically domestic adoptions, both weirdly enough born in Maryland, but they uh, are from, so Knox is Salvadoran and Mexican, and Beckett is Jamaican. So it's really cool that we're just like this, we call ourselves this United Nations looking family. Yes. And can then tell us about your background. Ooh, my background. Well, like your ethnicity, is that correct? Oh, my ethnicity. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, my mom was from Guatemala. So I am half Guatemalan. So I do refer to myself as Hispanic because yes. I love that. <laughs> but my dad is Caucasian. So, okay. yeah. It's a beautiful family. Yeah. Awesome. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how you guys came to adoption? Sure. Yeah. So two of my, they're not even first cousins. They're just, they were the closest in proximity to where we lived. Uh, They were adopted and they knew it. Family knew it. Like it was, it was a common, not a common conversation, but it, it wasn't a secret. And I grew up with that being so normalized and thinking, gosh, that's really amazing. And I knew at a young age, it probably was when I visited Guatemala, I was just like, I'm going to adopt a baby from here someday. And for the longest time, I really thought I was on a medical school trajectory for my life. And even into college had planned on that. And I had this weird vision in my mind of... (laughs) 
<laughs> this is going to sound really bad, but I kind of thought I would never be happy in life. And I thought I would be like anywhere from like three to six marriages that were failed. And then I would eventually find my bliss with my adopted little Guatemalan baby. And then I also wanted a black baby too, as like my adopted babies. And that was okay. going to be it. But I also teetered between that whole ideal, which I don't think anyone dreams that for their life to be in a string of unhappy marriages. Right. But that's just kind that's of really what I had expected for myself or thought, oh, this seems about right. And then... Um, was there any defining moment, do you feel like, in your younger years that led you to feel like that's what your future would be? Ooh, defining moment. That's tough. I don't know about that as much as from a young age, I did not like being around children, even when I was one, <laughs> was a children, when I was a child. I would babysit, of course, because I feel like, especially the age that we're at now, being 90s kids, that's just, it was an expectation. Like you got to a certain right. age and you're like, oh, you're old enough to babysit. Yeah. And then you like babysit. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. And then you also, I can't speak for you. I got volunteered to babysit a yes. lot. And for kids that I really struggled with, <laughs> this one poor kid, I mean, gosh, he's probably got to be in his mid 20s now. He dropped the F bomb when I was babysitting him and I didn't know what to do. So I put liquid soap in his mouth. <laughs> And this is before the days of cell phones where I could call my mom and be like, what do I do? And she probably wouldn't answer it anyway. But I was just like, I'm not allowed to talk like this. So surely this little boy isn't. And the mom was so mad at me, but then had me come back the next day to babysit again. So oh I'm like, I don't know. It's so terrible. So I just. How did the little boy <laughs> respond to you after that? Oh, he hated me. Like, <laughs> hated me. Oh, it was rough. Ugh, that whole thing was. And I think it actually, I want to say it was like my summer job. Ugh. I remember one time making um, these boys clean their room. I don't remember what had gone wrong, but they, I made them clean their rooms. And just this past summer, because I still see him back home at the lake, and he's like, do you remember, Kelsey, when you made us clean our room? <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, I do. And I'm really sorry. I guess that was more impactful than I thought. <laughs> So, anyway. See, look at that. Yeah. We were just excellent babysitters. Oh, we were so good. <laughs> yeah, like ages. Yes. But, um, my, so what makes me laugh about all of that is, so like I said, mentally, my oldest sister, she's older than me by about 12 years. And she was driving some kiddos to church camp. And it was like the Cedar Bluff area. So it was on her way to Manhattan. She was going to school at K-State. And so she like dropped them off at, camp but on the drive these two just kept bickering and kept fighting and fighting and fighting and she told them she's like if you don't stop fighting i'm gonna pull over and make you pick weeds on the side of the highway and i remembered like that being my inspiration for any form of like a parental idea or whatever right, that would look like for me and yes guidance. and so yeah. i was just like oh okay so i think that's partially probably not the soap in the mouth like the liquid soap in the mouth but just a lot of that where okay when you are babysitting or watching kids like you do have authority but you also need to pair it with something and like pulling over the side of the highway and having the kids pick weeds that's doesn't even compare to <laughs> like the again the liquid soap in the mouth but I just I always had a struggle with kids and so I I know like this is a very long answer to your defining moment of why I <laughs> why I am the way I am between my mom getting sick and then me not 
ever really loving being around younger kids. And then all the babysitting jobs were, I was told to do and that sort of thing. I was just like, I, number one, if I'm ever a mom, uh, my, I have a crippling fear that I'm going to die of cancer at a young age, just like she did. And I don't want to leave my kids to grow up the way I did because, and I'm not saying that I had this like deprived childhood by any means, but it was really, really hard. And walking through her being sick from age seven to dying when I was 15, like it's not something I would wish on anyone. Mm -hmm. And so having personally experienced that, I was just like, ugh, I don't want that. And I, this is going to uncover a lot of deep stuff, but when it came to relationships, both men and women, I never felt worthy. And I felt like, why chase happiness? Because it doesn't exist. And I felt like I always had to compromise part of me or um, just be someone I wasn't for somebody else. Mm -hmm. And then I had this phase of like trying to make someone better and that utterly failed. But I just had this really distorted sense of value and self-worth and thinking that I didn't really deserve much. So I think that's kind of where that whole formulated idea of (laughs) that my goal was all these divorces (laughs) and then just eventually finding my solace with these two kiddos that I could claim as my own. Okay. How, like, when do you remember what age feeling and thinking that? That I didn't feel like I was valued or yeah and the and thinking of that as your future. Oh gosh. <sighs> like in I was, high school? Oh, it was definitely like late middle school. Oh, okay. But I had just Yeah, I don't know. There was I mean, so that's many early. I just think I it's cuz I'm like I think back. What did I think my future was going to be? I don't yeah. really know if I if I I think I just always had the dream of go to school, I'm going to get married and have kids. Yeah. But that was about it. Yeah. And go to a bigger city. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I I definitely wanted to go to school and meet somebody, but I, I kind of figured it would just implode like all the other things had in my life. Mm-hmm. And and I, I guess I didn't really think about career path, like seriously think about it other than, you know, like I want to be a rock star someday. Uh, the serious career path, I don't think I really honed it on that until high school because I knew I remember being in a middle school math class and I had gotten the best grade in the class and the teacher announced in front of the class who that she said, a surprise student got the best grade on this quiz or whatever. And I was and kind of still am a huge class clown. And I said, well, it wasn't Emily. And she goes, actually, it was Emily. And I was just like, what? And that's kind of when math clicked for me. And then I was a huge math nerd, like ever since. But I just remember my dad and I having a conversation of, if you do want to be a doctor, and if you want to push for that, you need to start focusing on your grades. Because he, he, I just remember him at one point, showing me my grade card, it was probably eighth grade. And he was like, this probably isn't good enough. And if that's something you want to do, you need to push yourself. And then in high school, I really did. I made a huge effort with my studies. The the classes I needed to, there were some that I didn't really have to try because like math just came to me naturally, but the other things, not so much. 
So I just remember thinking like, oh, well, middle school grades don't matter. They don't look at those transcripts whenever you are, you know, doing your undergrad or applying for med school, which Mm -hmm. is actually true. But it's, I, I feel like I've had so many moments in my life where I was always two steps ahead of myself. So like that, I didn't, I knew that this didn't matter. So why, why do that? Instead right. of just like, well, if your overarching goal is this, then aim for that goal. Don't try to like shove certain stones into this path to make it work for you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, tell us a little bit about, um, you've mentioned about your mom mm-hmm. and her diagnosis at your young age. Do you want to talk a little bit about that tonight and how you feel like that um, defined you then and how you would say that defines you now Mm. going through that journey? Yeah. So I will just never forget. It is seared on my brain the night that she told us and it could, the reality could be that it, Margo and I were the only ones who didn't know at that point in time. I don't remember if my older two siblings were there um, or not. But she was standing up against this hutch that we had. And for you youngsters out there, a hutch is where people used to keep China. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I guess you don't know what a hutch is. Or like a curio cabinet. (laughs) So she's leaning up against it and she was just holding her holding her chest in her breast area and then had said what she had. And I remember thinking this is bad, but I didn't really understand what that could be. And you were seven. mm -hmm, Yeah. So as she continued her fight and she got into remission at least twice, I want to say. And I, also, I had this moment where, ooh, yeah, something happened with my dad. He ended up in the ER one night, and I was definitely in middle school, but she was at the table the next morning and was sitting there and just seemed so not like herself. And I asked her what was wrong, and she was just like, nothing can happen to your dad because I'm not going to be here much longer. And I think that was one of the first times that it really, really resonated with me that she wasn't getting better. And then the times that she was, it didn't last for a long time. And every time she got into remission, I feel like you're just kind of like holding your breath and waiting. And so, yeah, she, it was right after spring break of my freshman year. So we were out of school And this is right before she did home hospice, but she was in the hospital and I spent a lot of that week with her just talking through all sorts of stuff in life and just, it's so hard to sit and talk about the future with somebody that you know is not going to be there. Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine as a mom sitting across from my daughter having those conversations. And I also feel like that's probably why we didn't talk about all the things we could have because that's just too dang hard. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So she, um, yeah, she died my freshman year 
right after spring break. And I, <laughs> it, it was April 10th and I was leaving the school and my softball coach, which I had been on the softball team my freshman year and ended up quitting mainly because my mom was so sick and the in Western Kansas, and this is probably very similar to where you grew up, if you're doing sports, you are traveling a lot. Like, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of local right. games other than, like, you're having a home game and whatever, yes. but you're just gone a lot. Yeah. And I, I guess clearly I recognized that I wasn't <laughs> going to have much time with her left. So I quit the team, and the coach totally understood. And as I was walking out, he handed me this cupcake, and he was like, hey, it's my birthday. Like, take a birthday cupcake. So I was like, okay. So, you know, I'm bopping along the two block walk to my house with my cupcake. So excited. And the hospice nurse's car was there. And I honestly didn't think much of it because it was there a lot. And it was just kind of what I was used to. And I walked in the front door and Margot was on the couch. And that's my sister who is uh, a little over two years older than me. And she was on the couch and she was just crying, my baby, my baby. And I, I didn't know what she meant. And she and I had a pretty tumultuous relationship during that time because just the stress of mom being sick, knowing it was so final and teenage angst, <laughs> like all of those things. But later I found out that she was talking about me, that she just, she was just worried about me and that just describes my sister to a d like that's who she is and that's how she's always cared for me even into adulthood that's how she is so anyway i went in and i i wrote a paper on it like you know you have to write this expressive paper in language arts in high school and somebody writes about you know, some beach vacation. And then I write my dead mom story. <laughs> Poor teacher is probably like, I'm just going to give her an A because I don't even want to <laughs> go further into this. But I will just never forget that cupcake I had in my hand. I just dropped it to the floor and just stood there in, in awe. But it's also when you're expecting someone to pass, when it happens, it doesn't feel real. But at the same time, you're like, how am I not more prepared for this moment? Because mm-hmm. I've had however long to grapple with this idea right. that she's not going to be here forever. And I got to talk to my dad and she died in his arms. And I don't think there's a better way you could go. Mm-hmm. But he asked if I wanted to see her. And I told him I really, really did. And it was just like two days before at lunch, I because I would walk home during lunch and visit her because she had her hospice bed set up in our living room and there's a TV in there. And so um, she just had like everything, the full setup that she needed. And there was a bathroom right around the corner. So I'd come home for lunch every day and uh, visit her, with her and check on her. And I guess I'm, by every day, I'm meaning like two or three weeks because from spring break to April 10th was not a lot of, a lot of time. And visiting with her a couple days before something happened. And I was talking to her about a friend or something. Of course it's something irrelevant, 
But I got so frustrated with her because she couldn't remember anything that I was saying. And I was like, I just told you what was going on with this. And I kind of just stormed out and was just mad because I was just like, you know, when you're in high school and you're a girl, life sucks and everything is the worst. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But just all these other layers, I just felt so... Ugh. (laughs) And, And I do recognize now how my very, (laughs) I almost want to say entitled behavior because I had gone through so much heaviness and darkness and just death that I felt like I could kind of just do whatever. And I, I call it like my Hurricane Emily phase of just doing things, thinking that I didn't have consequences, no matter how I treated people, how I behaved, choices I made, all those things, because I just felt like the world owes me one. Mm. And so that became a very destructive like mindset that I had that I didn't recognize that I had for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so anyway, my mom, the day she died, uh, I was able to go in there and it was just me and her in that room. And of course, the first thing I said was I'm apologizing for being such a brat because I was. But two, I just remembered looking upon her body and thinking this is the first time I've seen her without pain since I can remember. Mm. And she just looked so peaceful, so peaceful. And I was also weirdly thanking God in that moment. Not that it's weird to thank God, but just thanking God for taking her finally from this body that has caused her so much pain and releasing that part of her life and helping her just join him in heaven. So, yeah, it, uh, okay, so I think you asked, I don't even think I answered all of the question before about my life then and now, but I think how that has shaped me in being a mom is that I try to be really intentional with my time. And yes, my husband and I love to travel a lot, but we also love to travel with our kids a lot. We love to make space for family memories. We are, we try to be very intentional with every single child with the two of us and as individuals as well. And so much that of that for me is born out of, feeling robbed of it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I know <laughs> I don't ever want anything I say to make my dad feel like he didn't do an excellent job. Sure. Because he did. And I loved him dearly. Loved him. I love him dearly. <laughs> but he also was kind of thrust into this world of two high school girls and he was alone alone and up until then it had been crisis mode for quite a while and i look back thinking oh that poor man i don't know i don't know how he put up with us (laughs) but he did and he still does so (laughs) he did a wonderful job yeah you guys are great well thanks i said yeah like yeah he did a wonderful job i'm amazing (laughs) (laughs) but no he uh I mean, it's just like a lot of things in life. Sometimes you don't, you don't get a choice to figure it out. You just figure it out. And that's a tough lesson to learn or explain to somebody else. 
especially if they want advice on whatever thing it is. And you're like, I didn't have a choice. I just, this is what happened to me. And then it was there. And then what am I supposed to do with that? Mm-hmm. So with that defining moment um, in your childhood and now using that into your life now as a mom, um, what advice would you have for young kids or adolescents even, or even moms now that might be in a similar situation going through something, mm-hmm. whether it's cancer or not, but going through hard times where you don't have a choice, but you just have to keep, keep pushing through. Yeah. I think the biggest thing I could tell anyone and everyone is that we, every day is a gift. And I, it, this is stuff that people hear all the time. You hear it right and left. You're like, yeah, yeah, I know. I have breath in my lungs today. la di da it's a gift. But every day is a gift. We don't know how much time we have left with people. And use, use tools to make effective memories. And I'm saying that because obviously video cameras have been out for a very long time because there's very, very old movies <laughs> that Hollywood made. But once they got available to the masses, what was that? Probably like in the 70s and 80s. Um, so it, it was not a new item. But when mom got a video camera... And it was new to us. And she was going to leave messages for friends and family. And she never did. Mm. And I cannot tell you the number of times I've sat in my closet crying, wishing that she would have said something to me. Even if it was something silly that would have made me laugh. Just something. (laughs) And I mean, just hearing her voice. Gosh, I haven't heard it in almost 20 years. And that's something that I think about with other people is that maybe maybe your outcome might not be as bleak as ours was, but technology can be such a gift. Use mm-hmm. it. Send, write, <laughs> make a video, make, just take pictures of things be in the pictures. I think that's a a big thing and a hard learning curve for me as a mom is it's so easy to just take pictures of the kids or the dad and kids or whatever. And then be like, Oh, well we took this picture together, but I had a double chin or you saw my gray hair, (laughs) whatever. And then so easily discount that. And I think back and I just don't have a whole lot of pictures of me and my mom. I will say there's not a whole lot of childhood pictures of me in general. So that's not like it was specific to that subset, but it was just a different time then too. It wasn't like everyone walked around with a camera constantly. That wasn't even a thing. And so use and embrace technology because someday when the people you love are gone, all you have is memories and pictures and videos can be such an ignition to unlocking those memories and those beautiful moments and all of that. And I really, really, really wish I had that. Um, yeah, I, I do. And I think be patient with each other. Um, as a mom now, I, I genuinely can't imagine my daughter being a brat to me, knowing that I maybe have a week or two left to live. Oh, but I'm also a huge hothead. My mom was too, but I might be worse. But she also was probably beyond the point of caring at that point. 
or just like either doing not caring or letting me be me and working through my own issues that are very trivial at the time. But I think just be patient with each other, have grace with each other, and just ultimately embrace the relationship you have and how it looks today because it might not look like that tomorrow. Mm, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. Okay. How about um, more to your life now? How about your other half, which would be Mr. Eaton? (laughs) Um, Tell us about him. So you met him like the first day of school. Yeah. So. Was it love at first sight? (laughs) I know the answer to this. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So when I first. Okay. Couple of things. He, when I jokingly said that he kind of stalked me, it's actually a true story. So he was a resident assistant when I was a freshman. So he was a sophomore. And I guess I got the story wrong at some point in time, but he corrected me that he was in admissions for something and just decided to look through the female ID cards for incoming freshmen, like any creeper would. Right. (laughs) looks through them, picks mine out, and decides, like, I'm going to meet her just based on this photo, which is a pretty dang good photo. I'm not going to lie. I wish I had it. It was, I had a cute little pink, no, no, it was yellow top on and had my naturally curly hair just all crazy. And that he just decided on that, based on that photo, he wanted to meet me and pursue me. So whenever I showed up on campus and he found me, we were playing this icebreaker game And it was, you know, all the freshmen in this huge gym. And then the orientation leaders and resident assistants, whatever, all playing this game together. And it was kind of like a go find somebody else with the same color shirt as you. And then you'd run around and you'd do that and then introduce yourselves back and forth. Right. Move on. So a mixer type of scenario. And he was intentionally working closer toward me in that room or in the gym. And as he gets right up next to me, it was, put your right foot up next to the person next to you's right foot or something. And I put my right foot up to his left foot, and then I got frazzled and weird. And it was, I remember this so specifically and thinking, like, he was super cute. But then the guy who was coordinating the whole thing, he's like, uh, okay, let's move on, new game. And apparently Jacob's perspective was, but I, it was our time to introduce ourselves to each other, and I just got robbed of that. Well, I guess he tried to look for me right after that funny little sidebar that he did not know for quite a while. Right after that happened, I was walking back over to where uh, one of the girl, one of the very few people I knew was, and I I bent over to like tie my shoe or something, and my pants totally split, like <laughs> ripped my jeans. Oh my god! <laughs> so I was like, and I'm leaving. So I left, and he told me later, he's like, I looked for you. I'm like, I had to deal with a private matter (laughs) so then we go to a dance and uh, he brought a wingman and I went along with a girlfriend and that was the night that we really got to chat with each other and then that was also the night that I didn't quite ever catch his name because we were at a dance and it was really loud and I have since learned that if there's a lot of loud noises around me I, I have a hard time like focusing and retaining information 
And so we went to our dorms and he, <laughs> we were supposed to sign each other in because we were like, the four of us were on this like group tour of each other's places. And so I had to sign him in and I kind of blank. So I'm like, oh my gosh, what is his name? Cannot think of his name for the life of me. And so I hand him the pen. I'm like, can you sign yourself in? I, I don't know how to spell your name. Well, you know, it's five letters in the in Jacob and five letters in Eden. It's a pretty easy <laughs> name to spell. And so he writes it down and he doesn't really think much of it. And we all walk to the elevator and he stops and he holds the elevator door open and he's like, ooh, so maybe this is part of my fear of elevator door shutting. I don't know. But he holds the door open and he's like, Emily, what's my name? And I was like, ha ah, ha, get in, let's go. And he's like, no, what is my name? If you don't tell me my name right now, I'm leaving. And I was like, Michael? I just felt like that was a pretty good guess. <laughs> Even though I I guess I personally knew a couple of Michaels in Scott City. So I was like, yeah, if there's a couple in Scott City, there's certainly some ones out here. And he just kind of hung his head. And the guy with us obviously knew his name and laughed because he's like, this, this is not his name. And so that's been a funny story for Did a long he leave? time. No. Oh. <laughs> he of course didn't. he didn't. Of course he didn't. Yeah. He was just an empty threat kind of guy. So it was one of those things, kind of the rest is history. I love it for sight. I don't I don't know if that's a thing. Cause I do feel like love is so much deeper than anything physical, what you look yeah. like. And of course, like he gave me the butterflies and whatever, but I thought he was super cute, but I definitely did not think he was into the ladies when I first met him or that he just wanted to be my best friend. Like that, that was honestly, and I had mentioned in a previous episode that I had always had a bunch of guy friends. Yeah. So it, that did not phase me okay. at all. So right. whenever he did make it clear that he wanted it to be more romantic, I was pretty confused, but anyway, <laughs> it worked out really well. Yay. Now, how long have you guys been married? We have been married for 13 years, and we started dating in 2005, so that's a long time, 15 plus years. Yeah, that sounds right. No, 16. I can't do math, apparently, after I just <laughs> bragged out how good I am at math. I had it in my head that it, we're still in 2020, which is just very, very sad. Yes. <laughs> um, Share... What would be um, a piece of marriage advice? Ooh. Like being with someone as long as you guys have been all through college until now. I know there's a lot of things. But what would be one piece of advice or fun tidbit you think worthy (laughs) of? Others to know. I think the biggest learning that we have had is the power of communication. And it's almost better to over communicate all the thoughts and feelings, not all of them, but all the ones that can fester and Mm -hmm. cause a bigger problem. And I think whenever I look back on our years and some of our bigger fights, were based off of things that were either not communicated to each other or just repressed. And then, you know, it's like it, uh, planting a seed of doubt with your spouse and then it just grows and grows. And then all of a sudden it's this huge plant and you're just like, ah, oh, how did you not see that this was here? But 
they could be blindsided. And so it's been, that's been a really good learning for us is to not, like I said, not over communicate all the things, but just have an open line of communication and know that there's safety in that communication. And that when we do communicate things that could be potentially seen as hurtful, that it's coming from a place of love and mutual respect and not from a place of trying to be demeaning or condescending, or I want you to be better for me because, or I need you to be this because it's, we really try not to ever even go there because we know who we married and we are going to, of course, grow and change. And hopefully we grow and evolve together. And I feel like we really have, we've had moments where one was growing probably a little more than the other. And then there's some catch up to do there or, some same with some evolving and that's okay. You Mm -hmm. don't have to always be on the same pace as each other, but I think just really digging into your respect and your deep love for each other. So kind of like what I was alluding to earlier where, you know, love at first sight. It's just so much more than that because I feel like you can't, properly and this is my opinion and I'm no doctor here but just loving someone is such a big element of loving yourself and I didn't mm. do that for a very long time when we first got together even into early years of our marriage and I didn't love myself properly to where the love I was getting it didn't make sense to me or it didn't it was either too much and too blah And I'm also like a don't touch me kind of person. (laughs) So uh, what's it called? Uh, Personal touch is not one of my love languages, Uh but it's absolutely one of Jacob's. And so that misalignment there of he feels loved if the second he comes home, I just jump on him and give him a bear hug and kiss him on the face. If he were to do that to me when I got home, I would be like, what are you doing? (laughs) That is not what I want. And so I think another big learning too is moving into being open enough to show your partner their love language, Mm -hmm. even though it probably makes you want to crawl out of your skin or it might not be that dramatic, but it's just not natural for you to go do that. But Loving them in that way and then being able to communicate, I feel loved when you blah, blah, blah. And when you do this for me, it makes me feel loved. Because, again, I feel like it can all come down to miscommunication, misunderstanding. I feel like so many even little tiffs outside of marriage or relationships or even girlfriends, friendships, all of that stuff can happen because of a misunderstanding or a miscommunication. And I'm not saying that the world is perfect, but I think it's so easy for any of us to assume the worst. And I know that I have been and continue to be guilty of that, that you think, oh, well, surely, surely they meant it the way that I took it because that that's just the worst case scenario, but that's not always the case. So, and you take it and run with it. Your mind creates this whole thing on its own. Absolutely. And we even not long ago, Jacob and I had this conversation kind of around this topic and how just how huge perception can be too, because I circled back to something. Cause of course I'm 
my uh, dog with a bone brain that I'm like, uh, I'm not letting this go, which is also the opposite of good marital advice. Don't don't do as I do <laughs> when it comes to that stuff. But uh, it's okay. We dropped something. It's fine. <laughs> no big deal. So, um, but it's one of those things where when we circled back to it, he was like, oh, I thought we had done and hashed that out and moved on. And I was like, oh, yeah, 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 we did. And that was mostly you. Like, you were under the impression that I, everything was good. And I wasn't there yet. And I'm not saying that you're wrong in that scenario or that I was wrong. But it just, again, I I probably should have over-communicated saying, I'm not actually good with this. Let's revert back to where we were so then that way we can figure this out together mm-hmm. versus one of us saying this is the solution and let's move on and be done with that which i feel like in general men have a better sense of being able to let's talk about it let's put a solution on it and let's move on and that Just isn't true for all men and yeah they're fixers and we're both married to fixers so then it's not literal though because yeah Your husband is a fixer, like a literal fixer. He is a literal fixer. A very slow process of fixing. (laughs) Very elongated. Yes. He's very good at his craft of fixing. (laughs) It just takes a while. (laughs) So I have learned a great deal of patience, the virtue of patience. But yes, (laughs) they like to fix things. I agree with that. And then... They want to move on because they just want everything to be better. And, right. Yeah, they don't like to sit in those spaces. Mm-hmm. I think it makes them uncomfortable. Yep. They don't know what to do with that. For sure. Oh, man. So, yeah, that's a our fun little <laughs> story of how we met. And, yeah, still together all these years later. We like to have fun together for sure. That's, like, something that is very crucial, I feel like, to just the core of us is just having fun and then being able to just laugh at each other and all of that. But this, this week, this last week, we've been painting our basement because it flooded and we had a remodel, not by a choice that we would have made, but it's just, that's what happened. And thanks mother nature. <laughs> so <laughs> Jacob came down to help me paint the other day. Was it yesterday? No, it must've been Monday. And he came downstairs, you know, I think expecting the whole, hi, honey, big old bear hug. And I I do try to push myself to do those sorts of things. But that was not one of those moments. And he came to the bottom of the stairs and I acted like I was going to kiss him. And then I just rolled on his face. And so he had like white paint down his face. And he was genuinely taken aback. And he was like, what? Why would you do that? And I was like, ha, I've been down here alone for hours. First human interaction in a while. And he was just like huh okay and then he said to me today he was like he came home a little early to help paint again and he was like you know i owe you some paint on your face and i was like have you looked at me i am covered in paint and i don't know how some people can paint and do projects and not look like a filthy disgusting mess this is like i feel like there's not more than six inches on my body on my arms or legs where there isn't paint somewhere (laughs) And then I see people who paint. I'm like, how are you painting all day? Because I just, maybe I'm just a messy painter, but it's all over me. You're just in, you're in it, in the thick of it, and you're going to get it done. <sighs> yes. Oh, yes. It, and it is good. almost done. That's awesome. So, yeah. Well, um, I think 
we've kind of reached our time as far as hearing all the juicy fun stuff for me yeah thank you for sharing <laughs> yeah of it's course. fun for everybody to get to know a little bit about us yeah kind of where we're from a little things hearing like the beginnings of things that we'll dig into deeper later yeah on. um yeah i love it hopefully it provides some context and then any of that stuff like moving forward if it is something that resonates with people and hopefully also gives us a little grace too to be like oh well they were raised like this so that makes sense yeah (laughs) (laughs) they grew up with the cows (laughs) yes more cows than people come on that's how that's how it was pretty sure it still is might have to google that though okay should we move into some rapid fire questions all right i'll kick it off because you've been asking all the questions tonight even though I'm pretty sure I know the answer to several of these, but if you could move anywhere, where would it be? Right now, I'd probably say Florida, just somewhere where it's warm, ideal weather, a beach, and the ocean waves. I'd be perfectly content with that. Beach sounds amazing. <laughs> yes. Without jellyfish, though. Yeah, no jellyfish. Ugh. No, I know. You're going to have a hard time selling me together. I think. <laughs> I know. All of the sand. You did sell the sand really well. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, ooh, this one, my answer used to be Paris for a long time. And all it was Venice before that, which I've been to both places and love, probably equally in different ways. But I would say somewhere in Greece or Italy. I just. Oh, I Italy would be beautiful. I love Europe. And I love wine. And, like, when I think of Italy, I think of all the amazing breads and pastas I had there paired with delicious wine. And I don't know. I did. I really did love Venice. It was just so amazing. But I also, um, one of my favorite movies growing up was the remake of The Italian Job, the Mark Wahlberg one, which Mark Wahlberg is on my list, even though he's not tall enough for me. He's a cutie. So if you're ever listening, Mark, and we both find ourselves to be single, call me. <laughs> kidding jacob that's a joke you can calm down Uh, but i was obsessed with the italian job and have you seen it i don't think i've seen it no we're gonna watch watch it that might be our next pod is we're gonna dissect the italian okay (laughs) so it starts off in venice and so that was my first scope of what venice might look like and it held up pretty true because i know like the first time i went to napa I had the parent trap stuck in my mind of like, this is what Napa's going to look like. And I was just shocked that it was nothing like that. But that's what movies do. It gives right. you sometimes an unreal expectation of what things look like and all of that. But when I went to Venice, that really just hit my heart hard that I was like, ooh, yes, this is what I've been waiting for. And I told Jacob, I was like, we have to come here as a couple. Someday, who knows when it will be. So have you guys been there? together no no he hasn't been to europe at all okay so this will be exciting when that day comes that we'll hopefully get to do all sorts of country hopping and all of that because in case you haven't been there or haven't researched it once you get over there it's relatively inexpensive to go city to city and even country to country um just go on the train uh train and then like my flight from zurich to 
Venice was maybe 40 minutes, and I want to say it was under $50 USD. Oh, wow. It was amazing. And then, like, the tunnel, the channel from Paris to London, it was probably a little bit more than that, and that was on the train, so it was a little bit longer, too. But still, just, it is very economical to get around once you're there, but it's just, like, that initial ticket, especially for those of us in the Midwest, where we don't even have an airport that can send a direct flight over to a London, a Paris, a Zurich, none of those things. Yeah. So we, I would always fly into DC first, sometimes Chicago, but I didn't, I, that was not ideal. It was usually DC or New York and then you head over there, but yeah, I just love Europe. <laughs> What's the furthest place you've traveled? Ooh. I guess I would need to look at a map to see. <laughs> Of those cities that I've been to, which one is the furthest? I'm actually not sure. What's your furthest? South Africa. Ooh, yeah. That's me. That's right. That is really... The longest flight of that whole journey was 18 hours straight in one flight. I cannot imagine that. Thinking back on that now is nerve-wracking. <sighs> now. <laughs> like, I don't know how I did that. I don't know if I could do it again. I want to. That's crazy. Someday, but... Oh, yeah. So I think my longest flight, and I will say I also, these were work trips that I would tack on vacation days to. So I was always flying into Zurich anyway. Mm -hmm. So that that was my flight. And I want to say, this is terrible. I don't even remember now. It's between like nine and 11 hours from the DC area. But outside of that, the furthest that I left the proximity of Zurich was not more than a few hours. So it definitely wasn't a South Africa thing, but an 18 hour flight sounds, whew, that sounds really, really rough. Yeah. Especially if you're like seated next to somebody who has very large legs, long legs, like my husband and doesn't keep to his own space. (laughs) I do remember at one point there was enough space where, and I don't really know how it worked, but where we were able to get like a few seats together where we laid down. Oh. And I remember taking turns doing that to like actually get some decent sleep. And then for one part of it, there was a crying baby, which was not too fun. But I myself was thinking like, I can't imagine having a baby on this flight. Like that is such a long flight. It wasn't, I don't think that was the 18 hour one, but um. Yeah, it was a really awesome adventure. I loved it. And this was pre-kids, right? Yes. Okay. Yes, that was right before we got pregnant with Charlie. Okay. All right, so you guys were already married at that point in time. Okay, gotcha. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah. Uh, Oh, what was the most exotic, like, in its natural habitat animal that you saw? Oh, all of them. We went on, like, safari. At one place, we stayed, like, in a um, safari place, I think it's what it's called. I don't know. Our our house literally was, like, in the middle of the habitat. And so you'd wake up, and the giraffes were literally right there. Um, the rhinos, same thing. And we, could, we got in the um, van, and you could drive through it, and there was a baby rhino that could see his reflection in the van and like wanted to come play with it. Oh my! And gosh. here we all are like, Oh my gosh, we're taking pictures. And, um, 
the girl, uh, the missionary that we spent a lot of time with, she's like, you guys be quiet, be quiet. Cause the mom is like watching every move and oh. not far away. And she's like, they will literally charge the car. And they did not thankfully, but that was amazing. Um, the giraffes were probably one of my favorite. I mean, they're just so majestic and just seeing them in their natural yeah. element. It was really amazing. Um, they're not aggressive. And Brandon's favorite right? was the warthog. I, <laughs> Don't understand, but but I mean that almost sounds like an answer Aiden would give. But yeah, right. <laughs> and then the elephants were really cool too. We went to I can't, the name of the um, place is not coming to me, but Aldo. I don't know some national elephant refuge or whatever. But seeing them in their normal habitat was crazy because you you know it's the adults and then they'd have the babies and you could just see like the trees moving like you wouldn't necessarily always be able to physically see them but you could see the trees and the the vegetation moving and then eventually like get a glimpse of them and then sometimes it would cross the road so you'd have to stop and wait and they have signs all over for these dung beetles that like literally roll the poop the dung and like you cannot crush them like you can't drive over them you can't step on them like here we would just like that's a bug and you just yeah you can't do that there so that was funny and why can't you do that good question i don't really remember like you shouldn't or you couldn't like there were signs like stop for the dung beetles and like is like the people would be driving you'd be watching like because you could see yeah you would be able to see them are they like endangered I want to look this up I now. Look up very interesting. I don't know. Or if they're just really a vital part of like the ecosystem. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. To where they just were preserving that. Um, but I just remember seeing the signs all over. Dung beetle crossing. So, <laughs> yeah, it was really cool. Oh, that's so funny. Well, dung beetles might be a good point to stop <laughs> <laughs> for the night. But, uh Oh, that was that was fun. T- a, a very lighthearted ending to what was probably a little bit more of a heavy background episode. But yeah. thank you, thank for you just for sharing sitting and tonight. chatting. Yeah. yeah, and thank you everyone for listening. And next time, I don't know that we have it slated quite yet, but it'll be something exciting that we'll get to chat about. And then again, we just would love for everyone to. Reach out on social media, email us, find us, follow us, share our podcast with whoever you think would love to listen. Yeah. If you have stories that you want to share um, or you would like us to share for you, we will get to a point too where we'd love to have guests. Um, If you have ideas of just life things, um, send those our way too. Yes. We would love to hear all of it. All right, friends. Well, thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next time. Until then, keep it ridiculously imperfect. Thanks for listening to Ridiculously Imperfect. You can find us on Facebook at Ridiculously Imperfect, on Instagram at Ridiculously Imperfect Podcast or at RidiculouslyImperfect.com. This podcast is produced by Emily Eaton and Kelsey Foster. Our sound engineer is Isaac Moreno with Kingdom Come Studios. Until next time, keep keep it ridiculously ridiculously imperfect. imperfect.